Welcome to the continued podcast adventures of Superhero Speak. But I think many of the people that love this character and that love superheroes in general have used these stories as inspiration to say, you know what, I'm going to do something good in the world. I'm going to make a difference like my hero when I was a kid. That is my fondest memory of it because when, you, when you're doing comic books, you want them to affect people. Right. You want people to care. You want, you want to strike emotions. And I knew that that clone saga was striking a lot of emotions. Can you yeah. imagine uh, Pulp Fiction starring Goofy and uh, Mickey Mouse? I can totally <laughs> imagine that. You I'm sure somebody's written that one. Pounder with cheese and France, Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, ale with cheese, Mickey. Yeah. <laughs> I can totally see. I, I, would, I would watch the hell out of that movie. Yes, I gladly saw, sacrifice at my. my progeny to you of a mighty marvel beast <laughs> but neil adams is somewhere going mm, it's, it's my time <laughs> uh, how do you measure success hey everyone and welcome to superhero speak i'm your host dave and yeah i'm alone tonight kinda <laughs> i've got a special episode for you guys this week we haven't done this in a while we have a good sit down interview with you us we have two writers who are currently working on survival street a book from dark horse comics coming is okay let me ask that real quick before i i say your names is it out or is it issue one is august 3rd so it depends on when the magic time portal drops this episode into their ear it'll be it'll be out this week but so it's in previews then currently yes and you can we've got a zero issue you can read for free digitally okay so Speaking, we have James Asmus. Yes, hello. And of course, his part writing partner, Jim Fertante. Fertante. It's very close, Dave. It's very close. <laughs> I am I am terrible with names. My 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 late wife was Italian and she's probably rolling in her grave because I was always bad with Italian names. <laughs> so I mean there there's a lot of vowels. There's a lot yes. of vowels and a lot of accents. You landed the rhyme though. So you're you Yeah. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so I guess I'll start off with a very simple question. Neither one of you can answer this. What is the elevator pitch for Survival Street? Sure. So the the book is set in a near future America where corporations get everything they want. Basically after, you know how right now they have <laughs> some of the rights of people <laughs> as are, you know, has been ruled. This near future Supreme Court decides they get all the rules of people, including running for government. So corporations basically take over the Senate. They privatize everything. There are no worker protections. They strip mine every public good in the country. And now you have to pay for it. And every town becomes a company town where you're basically indebted to whoever, whatever business controls it. I'm sorry, and you said this is a future story? <laughs> I, know. I know, it takes place in three days. And so, of course, one of the things that gets shut down is public broadcasting. So the very real fuzzy creatures and performers who performed on children's entertainment are out of a job. And some of them decide to go out and form an A-team-like band of mercenaries to travel this like corporate badlands to keep defending and educating kids in a paramilitary fashion. And so it's it's basically to say if companies got everything they were lobbying for and there was nothing left to protect us, the fuzzy 
entertainers from our childhood would be the last line of defense. And so, so that's, that's the world we're playing with. Sounds accurate. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah Unfortunately, we, it seems like the, the most unrealistic part of this book is the puppets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When we started working on this, like over a year ago, um, mm-hmm. kind of put together the, the storylines and the concept and the pitch and everything. A lot of our particulars in the story beats were more out, outrageous, outlandish and satirical and reality has quickly closed the gap. So in some of our <laughs> Yes. In some of our final scripting, we really had to turn up the dial. So we really encourage people to buy the issues as they're coming out and not wait for the trade, because by the time you get to the trade, it might just be a documentary. <laughs> so, so what goes like, I mean, I'm going to guess that it came from just looking at the real world around you, but like, where did the idea come from, really? Well, Jim and I are, we're kind of always working on something together and we're kind of always just talking about other concepts and, you know, venting about life and stuff Mm -hmm. that's on our mind. And I don't even remember the moment that we landed on this, but I do know that, you know, we were talking about creating a new project where it just was set in this kind of world where we could keep talking about whatever issue of the week is bubbling up and starting to drive us crazy mm-hmm. or scare us you know what i mean or like we we have young children that's starting to make us really genuinely concerned about right. like if this is the argument or this is the thing happening now step two three four down the road is terrifying right. and so so we wanted a world that just what already like the rules set up all of that is at its worst so we can tell whichever story is most on our minds and somewhere in there kind of i think it was just like well of course public broadcasting is shut down. So all of those very real performers are, you know, they, they need something else to do. And I think that kind of, as soon as that idea was there, the contrast between everything those shows told us as kids of like sharing mm-hmm. compassion for others, like caring for the people who are different from you or who, who need something. It's so sincere. It's so earnest. It's so pure. And it's so colorful. And we realized in every way it was the opposite to the world we were, that we were setting up and building, right. that it's the, the perfect contrast where character is the story, is the theme. And you have so much more of an immediate emotional buy-in to these things that remind you of kind of pure childhood idealism, right? And, mm-hmm. and seeing them a little faded and messed up and corrupted into this world, but still fighting to hold on to their values and their beliefs. And that felt really relatable to us and and powerful. So I think whatever that started as a joke, we really quickly realized like, no, that's actually like, that's the right hero for that world and that story. And then I think we couldn't shake it. And it really, it jumped to the top of what we wanted to work on out of all the ideas. So, okay. I have to ask this then. <clears throat> because a lot of those puppets that we grew up loving are owned by <clears throat> the biggest corporation in the world <laughs> currently. And was there any pushback from the publisher to say like, Hey, you know, should we do this? Or did you get permission from Disney to use likenesses? No, I mean, it's, it's satire, it's parody. Okay. It's, yeah. it's, you know, within our, our, our right to kind of spoof this stuff. We never, call out you know we're not we're not doing a one-to-one comparison mm-hmm. of actual characters it's more about kind of the the flavor of 
these characters that we grew up watching and kind of how they approach their way of, of teaching and caring for children. And so another thing is that James and I come from a, a, an improv comedy background. And so we learned very early on in our careers that the importance of specificity and, you know, taking a character and kind of spinning out like based on, you know, maybe one or two things that we know about them and how they are in the world and how that informs the rest of them. Mm -hmm. So we kind of like came at it of like, well, how do we form this group? You know, we need someone that's like a leader, someone who's kind of the brains and overseeing things. We need someone that's like the optimist, someone that's the pessimist, the wild card. You know, you you come from, we, we're also coming from a place of, of looking at these kind of episode of the week shows like A-Team and- Like you know, Knight Rider and Knight Rider. The, like mm-hmm. traveling hero kind of. And so, and so the book is structured that way too, where every issue kind of is a standalone adventure mm-hmm. and it starts to have cumulative consequences. And, but we really wanted to capture that kind of like episode of the week and then you move on to another town right? kind of thing, which, which also let us touch on more and more issues and ideas and anxieties as well as like comedic treasure chests you know what i mean we just got right. to keep opening new ones but but yeah like jim was saying you know it was we we made a point we we weren't interested in just saying haha wouldn't it be funny if this character had a gun <laughs> right, right. we we're always a little we're, we're always more kind of emotionally invested i think we like big crazy silly bad behavior ideas but then right. we really having started as like actors and performers it's in our nature to just dig into the psychology and really try to relate and understand right to our comedic characters so we dig a little deeper i think than people might be expecting and so it also means like he was saying that we flesh them out to be you know, we start with some, you can recognize kind of a type, right? but we get into adding much more specifics than you would have ever seen from, from some of um, an analogous character. And right. it gets much more adult and much more sincere. And I almost think of it like there's the actors we think of as always playing this type of character, but who is that person off screen? And what is, what are their demons? What's the depth to them? Even if right. they do have some of that same zhuzh you know, some of that same vibe of their characters. You guys are improv comics. How did the idea of writing a comic come about? Is that something that you've always wanted to do? And, and I, and I will say that this is probably the story that you're describing. A comic is probably the best vehicle for delivering it. It's not something you could easily get away, even on television or whatever. Like (laughs) you can do it so much in a comic and get away with it in in a fantasy story like this. But I'm just curious, like how, how that came about landing this as a comic. Well, so I think we kind of had two different paths. We both always loved comics and especially just kind of like literature, fantasy, sci-fi storytelling. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, you couldn't get me to read a book as a kid, but I would read any comic you handed me. Right. And then, you know, years ago in like 2008, Marvel hired me off of a musical comedy I had written that was running in New York. And once I had my foot in the door in comics, I was like, you guys are never getting rid of me. <laughs> and so <laughs> I... I it's just been me because I love it. I love the medium too much. So I've been, you know, working everywhere I, I can. And Jim and I together did the first creator owned I had done in 2012 for Image, which was End Times of Bram and, and Ben. Oh, okay. And that was, you know, he and I started doing comedy together. We met in Los Angeles and Las Vegas doing some comedy with some mutual friends. And 
we had that idea and originally we're maybe thinking about doing it as a web series or something for ourselves, mm-hmm. but really quickly, the scope of what we wanted to do in that story and like the conflict between heaven and hell, right? it just like what was funny and possible to us was just well beyond anything we could do. And I was like, well, I've been in comics for a few years. We could try this. And it, I mean, I'd love to hear, you know, for as much as we work together, I don't always hear Jim's perspective about having switched over to this medium, but we've done now four, four or so projects together in it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, yeah, I come from a, a different background than James. And it's funny because I came to comics pretty late in life. Like my first books were right after college is when I kind of got introduced into the medium. Like I'd, I'd read a couple things, you know, when I was a kid, nothing long-term or, or, or seriously, you know, other than like, you know, I of course watched like the X-Men nineties cartoon. And right. so I, I knew all of the, the kind of the touch points, but it wasn't really until after college that I, I got very much into comic books and graphic novels. And so coming to it from like, I, I write a lot of like regular TV scripts and digital and shorts and stuff like that. So it was kind of a learning curve for me when, when we started doing end times and, you know, James and I, really like that was when we were both living in the same city and so we'd meet up and like you know get to like hash everything out over like several hours a day and it was like it was just a super fun collaboration and I miss it terribly it's not the same (laughs) when we when we talk over the phone but but it was you know I, I I had it in my mind of like wanting to tell you know certain things or like you know James is very good about he understands the medium in a way of like the the efficiency of it and how to tell a coherent story when you're limited to a certain amount of pages and certain amount of panels, you know, you can't, <laughs> you can't really fill a panel with text as much as sometimes we try. So, well, I, yeah, I, I still, yeah, I've still pushed the envelope on my own stuff too, much to my yeah. own dismay. But no, I mean, you know, it's, it is true. Like he, he and I also got hired to write some animation stuff for development together. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. You can throw in six more lines of dialogue and do like a tag on joke and a tag on joke and a tag on joke and have it take 10 seconds. Right. But if you're doing that in a comic page and you want a new visual and you can't fit that without blowing up your page count or everything gets squeezed so much that, Mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're going to lose, you're going to, it won't be, it won't play effective. And so there I mean, there are so many jokes Jim has come up with that like hurt me to lose in projects we've done. <laughs> and in, in most of our projects, end times, uh, we did field tripping for Col- Comixology Originals. And then for this, we have dipped into our own pocket to pay for extra, to add extra pages into almost every issue we've ever done. Because there was something where we were like, that's too good. We, we want to have that. in the book. And so we will make less on the book personally, or we will pay $300 of our own money right now to give people these two extra pages that are going to have an emotional impact or like, because this is too funny. We have, like, we have to give this to people like something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, also just with that too, like, I, again, coming to it a little bit later and maybe not having, I don't want to say like the reverence for the medium, maybe that you do James, but like, I'm, I think I might be like ha- being a little, uh, a couple steps out of it, have a little bit more of a critical eye. And, you know, I, I read a ton of books and, and I, I, I kind of feel like sometimes there, there's an easy trap again, because you are kind of constrained in this medium in a way that 
for me at least, no, no other writing medium is similar, you don't always have the chance to do as much character development. And sometimes a lot of books that I read get a little bit too steeped in plot. And, okay. you know, plot is kind of, to me, the death of, you know, storytelling. Plot is important. We need mm -hmm. plot. Obviously, it's got to drive a story. But also, for me, for us, you know, the things that we find the most interesting is that character development, is that honest relationship between characters. So when you're trying to script a lot of plot and big moments and entertaining things, like sometimes I think it slips through the cracks to do all of that character development. But that's, I don't know, for me, at least like where the really interesting stuff happens. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's great that we're able to, in our creator books, add pages. And honestly, also like coming from, from a different background than, 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 you know, being a comics writer for as long as James has, what I love too is, is the collaboration of the artist. You know, that was yes. not something that I was expecting when we started doing these books. And when we did end times and our artist Rembrew would come back with sketches and inks and doing his own jokes, like coming mm -hmm. up with like really funny stuff that yeah. we did not ask for in the script, but he interpreted in a way that was his own take on it. And, and that kind of collaboration not only with another writer, but then an, a, a visual artist is so cool. And again, something that I, I just love about making comics because it is, you get this other perspective, you get another way of telling stories beyond words in this visual way that can be so surprising and fun. And, you know, our, our artist for Survival Street is, you know, he's incredible. He, he is so good at just tone and comedy and timing and storytelling it's really a gift as a writer to find another collaborator like that yeah it's insane so his name is abile kusinov okay. and he had not done anything that had come out in the united states he'd done a couple small projects he lives in cat Kazakhstan. Okay. Uh, he did a small book. Well, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say small. I truly, it might have a huge footprint, but you right, know, right. culturally it didn't get imported here. Yeah. So that's, that's what I should say is, so I don't, I don't know the footprint it's called brothers. And I believe that was released in Russia. Maybe that's okay. not the cool thing right now, but it was a few years ago. So hate the government, um, not the people. Exactly. Yeah, don't, it's not their fault. Uh, but yeah. And I, he had done some projects that came out in Kazakhstan, but I just thought his storytelling was really good his designs were really good and you know we were kind of interested in finding something to do together and Jim and I had this idea and we just sort of in the pandemic just kind of wrote a short version like a 12-page thing which is this right what we're calling a zero issue that we put out for free and it was really just kind of our own test of like tr trying out the concept you know what I mean like wanting to really just write something for it right a write write a, a mini mission Right. and nail down the vibe and the tone and we were really happy with it and then we kind of sent it over to him and Abelay's first character designs were so perfect he understood everything that we had communicated but even like he started intuiting like what was in our heads that we hadn't even put down like he just yeah. got on the same page and so I immediately was like okay we have to try and make this book because he's the right person for it and that's you can have the right idea, but if you don't have the right team, it's, it's right. Oh, yeah. You're, you're running a three-legged race instead of just sprinting. And, but he, he, like Jim was saying, he was another dream collaborator. And so he, and it's only continued to be that way. He just keeps, he keeps nailing every assignment in a beautiful, beautiful way. So we were so thrilled to, to do the book with him. 
Cool. And so, and that's another good point too. I mean, being from Kazakhstan, I'm sure he sees some American news, but to like truly yeah. get the vibe for the the corruption in this country. Well, there, there. That's one place where they can vibe with us. I yeah, think. that's true. Yeah. That's so, true. I have, I have um, lots of friends who are from from that area of the world, and they they all say the same thing. Yeah. So it's you know I I wish it were a uniquely American problem. I think I think we have a type of I think we have a type of weird performative nature to some of our issues here. Mm. That's part media and parts just the land of selling everything right uh, yes. where I, I think ours gets a little more just kind of commodified and perform like bad ideas are turned into new coke and like <laughs> sold to you in these weird yes. performative fashions and so i i think that makes again characters who are entertainers like a perfect foil to to so many of the types of things we're playing with but yeah they get enough of it there where most of the time he's known everything we're we're referencing and talking about and if not you know i'll send him links to ruin his day and be like yeah this oh is God. this is this is who's been trying to push the you know the the global order and conversation for the last 20 years while we've been doing all this all this stuff that i'm sending you links for i love the i love the analogy of new coke that's one of my favorite <laughs> disaster stories ever in this in the fact that and I and it's funny. I actually just learned some details about it too. I didn't realize that's when they introduced corn syrup and stopped using oh. regular sugar. That oh. was the whole point of the new formula for Coke. Interesting. People hated the taste, so then they came back out with classic Coke until they found additives that made it taste a little bit more, and then slowly reintroduced it. And then sure. boom! That now we have corn syrup and Coke. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Well, exactly. I, it, it, that new Coke to me makes me think about all the people who say like, government should be run like a business. And I'm like, mm. do you know that 80% of businesses go out of business? Like, do you know? <laughs> I, maybe you want government to go out of business, but like most restaurants I mean, that is, that that is last three point. years. Like, that is uh, something that they've been, you know, arguing the whole like small enough to drown in a bathtub. That's, you know, yeah. nothing new. That's yeah, 40 something years old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, you know, so, so in that, in that leaden depression of silence, I'll also, add, I'll also add that, you know, we, our colorist Ellie Wright and our, our letterer Taylor Esposito were both people I, I had wanted to work with for a little while that I'd just been seeing post really good work and kind of people that I had worked with before in various ways were not available here. And I was like, okay, these are two people I, I am, I'm really keen to work with. And they've both just been like total delights and, and total pros. And they've just delivered everything we asked for and, and more. And it's wonderful to have like comics. It, comics doesn't pay enough to, to deal with horrible people. And it, so, but it's, but it, it's also filled with wonderful people. And yeah. so every time you get to do a project and you're like, Oh my God, I love communicating with and working with every person on this team and then they're they're turning in exactly you know they're, they're turning in what we need and more is and on the dark dark horse side as well oh. you know i mean the the team there has just been nothing but supportive and so it's just like you know this book like has just been like again like my favorite thing that james and i have ever done together and also just the it you know in a in a 
production way the easiest, just from, again, all of the people that we've been collaborating with, it's been the easiest book to make, yeah. if not the most rage-inducing. Well, that's, yeah, that's just it. The, the, the ease of making it is only, I think, because everyone had the same anxiety to burn, and we're yeah. all happy to have an outlet for it <laughs> something to do something cathartic but yeah if it were also if it were also like a cursed production and plagued with problems i can only imagine the like the the pit of rot that would be forming in my stomach by now but instead <laughs> i'm just i'm so happy and i can't wait for people to read it so obviously the first issue comes out in a couple of weeks but do you get and and you said the book's going to be episodic <laughs> but do you have a plan like do, do you want to do four issues, 10 issues, or do you just want to keep going as long as you can? So the, the current, the current contract we have at Dark Horse is for, it's a four issue miniseries. Mm -hmm. My hope is that enough people go out, pick it up and dig it, that we go do volume two or season two. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? And uh, I know I've also floated the idea that I would love to do kind of an oversized special, almost structured more like a kid's show so that okay. you have like an educational segment for a couple of pages in one art style and, you know, something else that's, you know, a different type of story in a, in a different art style and kind of play with it for something like that. Just because I feel like this world opens up a lot we could do. But I mean, no joke, Jim and I have like notes for... 10 other stories we already want to do and then we kind of like put a put a pin in it i know we could just keep doing more i, I i'm constantly opening notes files for this concept and i'm like mm -hmm. we could do this or like here's something to tackle we we've come up with way more puppet characters than are in this that we would love to see and not all of them would be you know sort of on the team but just coming up with different sort of homages to Muppets, Puppets, Fraggles, whatever, whatever right. have you, you know. And their human counterparts. One of the characters that that helps the team, that is part of the team, is kind of like their human handler who can kind of, you know, get into places that they can't because right. he is a, a human being and less less conspicuous. You know, again, based on like the Mr. Gordon type from, right. you know, the, those types of characters of like the people that hung out in the neighborhood. Ours just happens to be on the way out, grabbed all of his costumes and is now a master of the skies. I did that in quotes <laughs> because, you know, he'll show up as like an old timey milkman or, you know, that it's that kind of vibe. Kind of. Yeah. If he's going to go where rich people are, he's wearing a top hat and a monocle and all this stuff <laughs> while they're while they're florida millionaires in board shorts you know what i mean oh my god that's so, perfect <laughs> so it's there's that's the kind of thing we have sort of there's there's fun comedic kind of quirks to every character in this so even mm. though we're digging into real stuff it's also blown up to absurd you know satire levels and then we're playing with characters who are themselves kind of wild so I, I like, I appreciate stories like that. I think that is something you have to do is when you're dealing with heavy topics that are mm -hmm. on a lot of people's minds nowadays too, is that you have to balance it out with comedy so that you can swallow it and think about it. You know, it, it's funny. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, love and thunder yet. Not yet. Uh, okay. Well, we have to get babysitters before <laughs> we can go. My so youngest is 20. So he just went with me. Yeah. <laughs> But, and he actually, he's, he came out of the movie and, and said it brilliantly. Like it's along the, I'll, I'll say this, it's along the lines of Ragnarok with the, the comedy aspects of it. And he's like, yeah, but they were dealing with such heavy topics 
you had to balance it with the comedy and there's there's mm-hmm. topics of loss and and love in the and throughout the whole movie and it's like it was really well done in that aspect when you think about it so so yeah well, well yeah i mean you know there there are so many <clears throat> beautiful well-made drama films that touch on mm-hmm. real weighty things about the human experience and those are forever in my netflix list and i never choose to watch them right <laughs> yes <laughs> it's like and i just i need a little bit of candy coating to make my medicine go down and right. but i mean one of my, one of my favorite films of all time one of the most formative things for me was harold and maud which is all about like you know just depression and right. ways to how can you start to believe life is worth living if you don't currently feel like it is and that is bleak and it's one of the funniest movies and it yeah. has it has a running gag of over the top fake suicides that he does to try to freak out his mother yep. and it's just it's it it makes me laugh and cry at the same time and to me that is sublime like that's that's the best human experience when you're having those conversations with your friends and you get to that point and you're laughing and crying if you're if you're in, enjoying entertainment that is like striking both chords at once right like that's that's what i love and a lot of times i also just write funny stupid things like that's fine too we need that as well but right, right, but, right. but with this book we definitely are trying to play it on a couple levels at once and the first few reviews we've got have all really said that they're they're impressed like they're getting it it's coming across that way it's it's working on those levels and that is just the biggest relief to me because i do think it's it was a little more ambitious for us because we do still want it to be entertaining i mean that's the that's the trick about having spent years performing live comedy is Mm -hmm. oh boy you get a deep instinct to not let people down because like a silent crowd at a comedy show, you can, you feel them resent you. You yes. feel them thinking about what else they could have spent their money on. And it's, and it, it just, it starts to be an inescapable. It's like a black hole for you as a performer because it immediately brings you into a bad place. So we developed instincts that I think know how to balance stuff and find some laughs for most people. Humor is subjective. If you read it and you don't think it's funny, it's not your humor. Right. Thank you for the $4 and 20 minutes of your time. And like, but I promise you, no one can say we didn't sweat over every line and every panel and every page to try to make it say what we meant, but also have people walk away saying, I'm glad I read. I enjoyed that, which is, different from well that was thoughtful you know what i mean or something like that <laughs> right no right. i it's as a you know from years of comedy you want to say you want the audience to be like oh thank you right and that's still our instinct even when we're getting into darker stuff so i can't remember which one of you said this but it was a great point where character you're more interested in character than plot and there's a lot of great movies especially throughout history like the plot is really simple. I mean, Star Wars, the plot is really yeah. simple to that, but the characters are great. Mm-hmm. Indiana Jones is, a, is another great example. Oh, yeah. You know, it's it's actually, I love the point that if Indiana Jones was not in the movie, the same thing still happens. But, right. <laughs> so I'm just curious. I'm, I'm asking each of you, who is one of your all-time favorite characters in, in fiction? Hmm. Ooh. I mean, I, right now, like, I, I mean, God, I, 
hand you a list of names, but I think for me right now, Saul Goodman, you know what I mean? Like Jimmy McGill, like talk about like that for me is it's, it's the height of, of my God, what I, I, I wish, I hope that we're, we're, we're accomplishing in, in that you are looking at so many different angles of a person and their motivations and why they do certain things. And there isn't, it's not just like he is a bad person. Anytime that he does something stupid, bad, you know, misguided, it's just, it's explained. It comes from a real place. It doesn't excuse it. It never excuses the behavior, but at least you're sympathetic and understand why it's happening and where it's coming from. Because no one as a human being acts in a void. We're not just like, we're always informed by so many things. And again, that doesn't mean to excuse behavior but you have to understand where someone is coming from. And also that's how you connect to other people because you yourself as a human being are complicated and full of contradictions and can be lovely and also horrible. I mean, how many, <laughs> how many nights like are you, you're trying to fall asleep and then like there's that thing that like you did 10 years ago and right. said to someone yes. that they probably forgot about, but you're going to be spinning out about it <laughs> Yeah, for the next half hour while you're trying oh, to fall yeah. asleep, you know, and so like it's it's. That and by the way, if you're that. listening and you don't have that happen to you, you're a sociopath, and you, yeah. should, <laughs> you should go talk to a therapist. Yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, yeah, just off the top of my head, I would just say like right now with Better Call Saul, it's like, oh, I love, that's that's peak TV for me. Uh, I think I think Jim's description of of how character could be great is so good that I'll make my answers shorter, but I'll also name three different things. Okay. One that I just want to plug, because I feel like I didn't watch this forever because the ads made me think it was a totally different kind of show. Raylan Givens in Justified, which was an FX show on for a while. It's kind of a police procedural. It starts to have a little more ongoing story, but it starts as a procedural. Character is what makes that show a show I would watch. Right. And then it has be- it's become a show I've watched the entire thing four times. I it, Because, you know, Elmore Leonard's writing that they model it off of is so character-driven and rich and specific that no showdown is just a showdown. It's, it's psychology, it's emotional, it's like... When Jim says, you know, plot is the death of storytelling, plot mm. is character. When plot is, all, all the plot is happening because of character-driven choices. And it's stemming from that. And that show is, is so filled with it that I was totally hooked. And he, he was a great, complicated character. But then in comics, the two that have always been my, like, my magnet characters, I can't kick if they're starring in something, I gotta get it, are for very similar reasons, which is Mike Allred's Madman. And okay. then Nightcrawler from the X-Men. It's very specifically the kind of like Claremontian Excalibur vibe of him. Right. And both of those are people who are constantly having existential inner monologues, like trying to figure out sort yeah. of the meaning of life or religion and human decency and all like, like big questions. They're mm-hmm. constantly thinking about those while also being characters who outwardly are just committed to having fun and bopping around and making everyone else have a good time and kind of swashbuckling joie de vivre. And to me, those are the, those are the two magnetic impulses like constantly pulling on my brain. That's funny because that's actually how I would describe you, James. 
<laughs> no, I'm serious. Like I, you are, you're like what I miss of, about having you around and, and seeing you more, more than now. And, or just like talking you on a phone is like you, I, that's what I, I, I love about you is that you are a very deep, thoughtful person, but you also like, you know how to make people feel welcome and good and you have a good time. I mean, you know, test carry test kitchen karaoke is still one of my favorite nights. Like, <laughs> it's just like, yeah. So it's interesting for me to hear you say that because that's, that is kind of how I think you are. Ah, uh, well, that's great. If I'm living like my heroes, I'm doing something right. <laughs> <laughs> if only you had their powers. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, I do. I do leave, leave a stinky clouds of sulfur when I leave a room plenty of times. So. That is true. That, that <laughs> I can also My crawler and I have some overlap. I would be remiss if I did not ask, you had written a Rick and Morty story? Yes. Yeah. We wrote a Meeseeks special together. Yes. I have to, I have to ask, A, were you given carte blanche to do whatever you want? And like, what was that experience like? Because I love Rick and Morty. It's one of my favorite shows. Oh, us too. Us, us too. too. Yeah. No, it's yeah, funny. We, it was like we pitched like four or five different ideas. Okay. And the Meeseeks like one, you know, I, I loved the idea, but it's also like a terrifying idea. And so we're yeah. like, yeah, let's make that one. We're just like, <laughs> ah, we, <okay."> yeah. This, <laughs> so, you know, we, we they, they were looking for pitches for presents and, and, Jim and I mostly like working on our own stuff, but we were like, you know, if that's a license we can get onto, it's, that's the right fit. <laughs> and the pitch for Meeseeks, they were like, we, we've wanted someone to do it, but we don't know what a Meeseeks special is beyond what the episode is. And we really quickly settled on like, well, Meeseeks doesn't believe there's meaning to life. They right. just think existence is pain. They want to disappear. So if someone accidentally or purposely asked Meeseeks to convince them life has meaning it would be fundamentally antithetical to their experience and okay. so, and then also to us the challenge of okay in 40 pages can you do a survey of all the things that some people think gives life meaning and filter all of that through a Rick and Morty lens and how convinced can you be or not be by these various things it was it was truly one of the most difficult challenges we could have possibly given ourselves. <laughs> so of course they picked it. Yeah. I am genuinely proud of how it turned out. I mm -hmm. don't know that we will genuine. I don't know that we'll transform anyone's life or mind when they read it. <laughs> but I think for a 40 page comedy comic, like I think we went way more ambitious and sincere and it's jam packed. And I think it's, I think it's really interesting and rewarding and I'm, I'm really proud of it and it's one of those things that every i don't know five months since we wrote it some website writes an article about it <laughs> or or like someone writes some giant post on reddit about it or something like that and just every once in a while i'll get these google alerts where someone's just like this issue is so this is everything i want from the show and it's in like one random issue and blah blah it's like all right then we did we did what we what we set out to do so it sounds like such a perfect story too, because I mean that's that's the whole thing about arguing about the meaningless meaninglessness of life from Rick's <laughs> point of view for the whole show. Like yeah. yes, that's that's perfect. Yeah. So it was. Yeah, that was another one where, I mean, for for work for hire, we really made sure we sweat every yeah. single page and choice and edit and space. Like yeah, we didn't we didn't just coast the the 
on that check, we we worked for it way more. Yeah, that than was that. that was easily the hardest thing I've ever had to write. Yeah, yeah. But I think I, I found it really rewarding. So much oh, so yeah. that once we did it, I was like, "Can I buy extra copy?" Like I know you're sending me a mm-hmm. bunch of comps, but I want to have this like forever to be That's able to. On- on the wall that's oh yeah from one of those splash splash pages oh cool and so it truly i was like i want to have this at my table forever doing comic cons because if anyone likes half the stuff i've written i want to be like well here read this that was going to be my one of my next questions you guys this is i don't know i don't know how to say this it's like one minute it feels like the pandemic's over the next minute (laughs) not quite sure yet but, I currently have COVID, so. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I'm three weeks into it because I have a bunch of immune problems, so it's really dragging uh, them up for me. I'm a much better now than I was before, but. So you were asking about conventions, yeah? Yeah, so, so I mean, they're, <laughs> they're, they're back. I mean, San Diego is coming up. New York is, com- is going to be back this year. Yeah. So do you guys have plans to attend any of them? So, yeah, we were going to do Emerald City. Okay. Jim has not yet contracted COVID. He has been, you know, res- masking and working from home and being careful. And we had listen, to- even people that have been careful and masking from home have yes. gotten it. So I have no idea how I've escaped this thing, but like I'm in no hurry to get it. Yeah. So because Emerald City just changed their health guidelines, I there's a strong chance we don't do it. I think okay. unless they change it back soon, I know Jim won't do it. And I'm not sure if I am or not, especially because supposedly coming off of having COVID, I'll be probably immune. So I can say this, I am doing C2E2. Okay. We are flying to Chicago to see my wife's family who we haven't seen in two and a half years. And that just is happening. So I just am doing C2E2 to help write that flight off on my taxes. But also, you know, I'll be, it's, that's right the weekend after the book comes out. So if you're in Chicago, come see me. I'll be so excited. And I'm here in Portland for Rose City. So I wouldn't have to fly in Rose City. Last year was a really good show about giving everyone space and people were really good about masking. So I feel pretty confident i'll be doing rose city as well emerald city maybe check when we're a little closer okay. and new york comic-con honestly i was originally thinking about having us go but flight costs might kill us we're both west coast so yeah. right um, right yeah i'm so east coast, if, so I, if, I do new york every year so i i love new york i love baltimore comic-con honestly mm-hmm. that's a real comics focused show with a ton yes. of great guests but yeah if flights are still really expensive it I probably won't shake out those yeah well if the price of fuel doesn't go down <laughs> right right i don't think the price of flights are going to go oh, down oh and apparently i'm going to do a one-day convention in las vegas in november put on by the library so if anyone listening is out in las vegas find me at that thing and also I mean, maybe you know we can we can do la you can come out to la and we'll do that one. Oh yeah 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 <coughs> i think that's in october okay well, so who knows? Maybe we'll do a lot. And if you're listening and you run a convention, let's talk. <laughs> we also, if you uh, want to bring us up, we're also we we contracted a local LA artist to make puppets for us. Yes. So oh. kind of excited to bring those to conventions and have fun with those. But yeah. safety first, kids. Safety first. <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting because so last year when I went to New York. Obviously, the city was requiring to show proof of vaccination, and everyone got a little wristband that showed you proved, yeah. showed your, your your vaccination card. I was just there a few weeks ago to see the Music Man with Hugh Jackman on on Broadway, 
And the only place that required anything is if you go to Broadway to see a show, you have to wear a mask. Other than that, everything is back to the way it was. So, yeah. Dumb. Well, I mean, yeah. You know, Emerald City had a show just a few months ago, and I did that one, and they still had vaccine requirements and mask requirements, and it went great. Like the line, it was a huge long line up front that moved so fast. I was through it in six minutes. And, you know, when it was a block long, they they had it running really efficiently. And I did the show and I didn't get sick. Everyone's mass, it was good. So I was kind of bummed that after they after the deadline for buying your tables and everything, then they announced that they were dropping that. So we'll, was, we'll yeah. see. I was just shocked in, in of all cities, New York, they, they dropped it. So it was just, yeah, yeah, that was shocking, but we'll see. Yeah. It's okay. It's, it's, you know, I understand that plenty of people have had it and been fine, but again, as someone who's lost three weeks of work out of this, like, even if that's all that happens to you, I don't wish that on you. Right. I don't know if your job, I don't know if you have three weeks of sick pay accrued. I know I don't as a freelancer. So <laughs> exactly massive vertigo for two weeks and i couldn't like turn my head without starting to throw up i i couldn't i couldn't write like so stuff like that was a little bit of a hand grenade into my plans so i don't wish that on you know what i mean right yeah i agree all right so that actually is a good way to segue to a question that we always ask we sign off the podcast by saying don't let your cape get caught in the door which originally was a joke and it was born out of the incredibles edna yeah. Yeah. yeah, but it's actually kind of come to being like, don't let your foibles or your your shortcomings block you from getting to your goals. Huh. So, what is an obstacle in your life that you've overcome to get to where you are? Oh, okay, that's a great question. I would say this is I'm very Midwestern. I was mm -hmm. raised in Ohio. It took me a long time to learn to advocate for myself. It okay. took me way too long to confidently say I should be considered for something or that, you know, I'm worth more than I'm being paid or it really took until I had children. And I was looking at the fact that I was now actually responsibility responsible for making sure someone else got fed. Yeah. Like as a starving artist, I was okay. Kind of having the bottom fall out of me a couple of times, but I couldn't do that anymore then. So one of the things I often find, I find there's two people in creative pursuits ones who have way too much confidence in their own ability <laughs> and, and ones who do not have enough confidence and they're comparing themselves against the perfect. And they're thinking, they're thinking I have to beat Neil Gaiman out for this writing job, or I have mm -hmm. to beat Jim Lee out for this penciling job. And the answer is you don't, you have to beat out the worst person currently working in the field. <laughs> you, um, right. now they might have connections and friends and whatever that you don't know, but if you're better than those don't feel bad right. about pursuing what you want at the same time, keep self-criticism open and look you don't have to beat yourself up, but look for the ways you can get better. And it might be in your skills or it might be in the way you treat and talk to people. Yeah. But those are the things. Be open to, to an honest check for yourself of how can I do better without beating yourself up? Because like Jim was saying, I'll spend, I'll spend two hours in the middle of the night thinking about something dumb I said. But it, it helps to shift that thinking into like, okay, well, how do I do better? And that's the focus rather than I don't have a time machine to change what I said, whatever. Yeah. I think a yeah. big one for me is like how you define success. And I 
think like, and it's, it's a little bit of a cheat because I think part of it also just comes from getting older Mm -hmm. and having your values shift. But yeah, coming from this background of just like as a performer and, you know, anyone who starts out as a kid or whatever, as a performer, it's just like your, your goal is always like attention, right? You, that's what you Mm -hmm. want. You want attention. Mm -hmm. You want ultimately to be a famous person and also like, you know, work, like I, I, coming out of UCB in New York, when it was like Amy Poehler was my teacher because it was just like, they just moved out and no one had gotten work from this stuff yet. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, about a year or so into the New York scene, people were getting work and, you know, booking TV shows. And, you know, a lot of them like went on to like have these huge writing careers or acting careers. And I have friends who are wildly famous and successful and so you kind of like, it, it's very hard to not compare yourself to that and be like, oh, why didn't I have that? And then you start to realize like, okay, but there's, there's still things about that, that, you know, are difficult. You, you know, you can be the lead of a show and the, the, the day that the show ends, you're unemployed, just like everyone else. And there's no mm-hmm. guarantee of future work. <laughs> so it's not as easy as everyone thinks it is. And so it's like recalibrating yourself to be like, okay, well, what is success? What makes me happy? What do, you know, is, is the work that I'm doing and, and the life that I'm able to live from that and the relationships that I have and my friends and my family, you know, you just kind of recalibrate all of that and, 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 and start to appreciate the things that you do have. And like I said, I do think there is a bit of a cheat is, you know, you get older and those things kind of just like, you know, hopefully start to work themselves yeah. out for you. But definitely, yeah, that of just like, and, and I think about that with my own kid of like, how do I get him to, to understand that of just like your life, your success isn't about any achievement you might have, but it's in your relationships. It's in there's so many things that you can look to that you can say like, this is why I feel like my life is successful and why I'm happy, but it can be very clouded. And I think especially in our society of, you know, attention and money that kind of, you know, that, that gets you away from the things that are truly important. Yeah. Yeah. Creative fields and attention economy can, can be really, can really turn you inward in bad ways. Mm-hmm. And and re making sure you have a solid definition of success for yourself that is not purely based on you can't control your marketing you can't control whether your book ever showed up in front of the person like the kind of person who would love your book might just never have had your book put in front of them and maybe it kept popping up in front of the people who just aren't your audience and you're get you're getting a bad luck of the draw I don't know it doesn't mean your book's bad it doesn't mean you're your album was bad or what anything like that. Yeah. So you got to find, you got to find what <clears throat> success is that isn't these metrics so far outside of your control. Sorry, I'm coattailing on your thing, but I will. No, just, no, but I, that's, that's those are points. There's so many people I talk to at conventions who want to, they're like, I want to work in comics. And I, I cause I have to write the a hundred issues of the fantastic four, or I have to write, <laughs> I have this story for Batman that I need to tell. And it's a 20 page or it's a 20 issue, you know, Epic. And I, the thing I always have to say is like, you can't make that your goal. Cause there's one person who decides who gets to write those books. And if that person yep. just happens to not like your sensibility 
it's never going to happen. And it doesn't mean you don't have value as a writer, as an artist, as whatever, you know, colorist, letterer, whatever, whatever the thing is, and you want to work on that thing. It's, it's so irrelevant to your worth that I beg people to have some other metric for how they'll consider success or goals. And I'm like, you know what I think? I think your goal should be that you sell someone a comic you created at a Comic-Con and the next year they come back and they look for you to say, I loved that thing you wrote. What else do you have? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's a better goal. You connected with someone, what you said found someone and resonated. And I swear to God, you have more control over working toward that goal than you have over working toward getting to tell your Spider-Man Punisher story. Like you just don't, you don't, you don't have that control. And even when I was working at Marvel and writing like two titles at a time or whatever, I didn't have control over saying, I really, can I reboot Excalibur? No, we want to have you do all this other stuff though. Okay. But like, you don't, you don't have that control even when you're in the room. So if that's, if that's how you define success and happiness for yourself, you're setting yourself up for failure. I'm sure there's analogous situations in other jobs. So just pretend I'm talking about your job too. (laughs) It's funny not to get deep and and nerdy, but you've ever heard of the concept of locus of identity when there's people who have an internal and external people who have external locus of identity. They only value themselves as they, as other people see them, right? So mm. they're people, they're the fame okay. seekers. They're the people that yeah. want to be actors, comedians, no offense, writers. <laughs> I mean, we truly, we are offended to have been actors and comedians. Like we're <laughs> on our own. We are offended by ourselves. And it's when you, and it, but exactly what you guys are describing. It's when you can bring that internal and realize, well, wait, what actually makes me happy? What? what can I do to contribute and, and actually be happy? Like not worrying about what everyone else is thinking. Maybe it just never got to the right audience, whatever you're, you're working on. I mean, I, me, myself, I chased it for years. I was a musician and in, in a lot of different bands and whatnot. And it just, yeah. it never panned out, but like, then I got married and had a family and that was a whole different ball game, you know? So yeah, exactly. And you still got to be a musician and make music and have yes. fun. Exactly. And that's how I look back on it. Like, yeah, it's the experience was more important than actually becoming famous. Yes. Yeah. So um, you guys have stepped all all over my final question, which is usually how do you measure success? But I think. (laughs) (laughs) Well, technically, we just told you how not to. (laughs) Well, that is true. That's fair. Yeah. No. Yeah. I, I, I set different goals of success on different projects and some are, you know, some are clarity of, you know, what we're trying to communicate. Some are, did we get people to lower their guard and just find it funny and think about what we're saying with other things? It's, you know, we're, I'm just looking to entertain it, it. Every project has its own goal, but I do think it's important to start with that. Like, especially in collaborations, when Jim and I first started writing together, and I've done a lot of co-writing with different people, I usually start by saying, let's define what success is. Because mm-hmm. is our if our goal is to make this the most populist, selling the most number of things to the most number of people, that's going to change what choices we make in the creative process right. versus are we trying to make something so perfectly us? Or are we trying to make something we've never seen before? Or are we trying to say something because then the choices need to defer toward that as opposed to just what would be fun? What would people like? And any of those can be valid goals. 
but you, especially in collaboration, I think you need to agree on what success is. And I think different projects have different ones. In the macro sense, my success, I've come to define it as I can keep paying the bills and providing for my kids and I enjoy what I'm working on. So like, whether it's, I'm really enjoying the people, it's a fun challenge or like, this is exactly the right fit for me. I just feel like Scrooge McDuck doing backstroke and the money bin, you know what I mean? Like right. whatever it is, but I want to, it's the two handed thing of I'm steady providing and I'm not miserable. I'm not working with people who drive me crazy. I'm not working on projects. I'm not the right fit for I'm not banging my head against the wall and defining as that has let me say no to things. And it's made me happier and it's made me have more time for my family. So that's good. Yeah. And like to piggyback off of two things that you had said earlier about like, you know, you can't control how something is going to be received. Mm -hmm. And did I say the thing that I thoughtfully wanted to say, like, did, was I able to take my idea that I had in the beginning and craft it in a way that when I look at it on the page, when all is said and done, and can I look at that and say like, yeah, I, whether or not this is received is beyond my control and my power, it's outside of my power, but for myself and, you know, in, in our case as, as a team, like, can we look at this thing and say like, yeah, this is what we wanted to say. And, and for, you know, to, to just make it about this project, like we did, like, I, I'm very proud of like how we shaped the four books. I think it's six, the landing. I think we say things, I think we're entertaining. I think it's funny. I think it's dark. And it's all the stuff that when we set out to write this book, I wanted us to say. And so however it's received is beyond our control, but the final product that I've seen is the book that I hoped we would make and, and have made. Cool. All right. So I'm going to do this. Actually, no, before I get to the, the last thing, where can people find you online? That's usually the, the best thing to, you know, A, and where can they find the book? <laughs> you very deliberately can't find Jim online. He has, I hate he, has taken himself, he has taken himself off of the internet. For him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's better for his mental health. Yes. And I, I envy him. You, we, we do have a, a website, futureskeletons.com, which is, you could send us messages there. There's links to a web store if you want sign things directly from us, that Meeseek story or, you know, our old end times, different stuff like that. You can check that out through futureskeletons.com in the store. I am on Twitter at James Asmus, all run together, A-S-M-U-S. And I'm on Instagram much less often, but let's bump those numbers up because that's a little paltry. I got <laughs> kind of late in the game on that one. But And to that end, I also don't just have at James Asmus. It's at James underscore Asmus. But also the book comes out August 3rd, Dark Horse Comics. When you're hearing this, I think our final order is Monday july 11th which will have passed but hey still call your shop and tell them yes. you want one because they might still be able to order one of the extra copies that gets printed and is at the warehouse but at least they'll try to make sure they have one for you and you know or you could buy it digitally but i love i love supporting the local comic shop right yep all right oh and then actually if you go to future skeletons you can find the if you if you go under the subheading for survival street you could find the 12 page survival street issue zero and standalone story it's not going to be in issue one two three or four it's its own thing so you can go read that right now it doesn't have all the character 
stuff that we get into in the longer issues, but you'll get a sense of the mayhem and the humor of the book and certainly have some fun with that faux free. Well, there you go. So the final thing is we started this a little while ago on the podcast. We usually would end with a recommendation, whatever, something you were watching or read lately that, you know, maybe other people aren't checking out. Or if you didn't have a recommendation, what did you learn on the podcast this week? And Jim, I think you should go first. I'll make a recommendation. I, as, as someone who feels like totally inundated with the sheer amount of streaming services that are out there, this is like one more that I swore to God I wouldn't get. But the comedian Vanessa Bear, who, oh, you yes, know, she's. I worked with her in Chicago for several Oh, years. my God. What a what a delightful, hilarious comedian she is. Has a yes. show called I Love That For You. And it's so good. It's so tight. You know, Molly Shannon, like just, it's a wonderful, like I'm only, I'm literally one episode in, but it is just so good that I've broken my, I will not get Showtime rule. And, and, and also just maybe like little known facts. So she plays a character who idolizes Molly Shannon, who was like a host of a QVC type show and, and ends up, you know, 20 years after the fact, becoming a host on, on a QVC type show. I actually did host on qbc what <laughs> after college what uh, how do i not yeah. know this yeah yeah and i wish like emily and i my wife and i were talking about this the other night i wish i had video evidence <laughs> i do not but maybe that's why it speaks to me but it's like it is i i highly recommend it she is hilarious and like again a very three-dimensional comedian someone who knows how to be funny but also very truthful and honest and just smart and i I love i love shows like that Uh, amazing so i can't believe i didn't know that about you that like yeah (laughs) see we keep the relationship fresh there's all these surprises (laughs) like 10 years into it yeah well i you know i it's it's interesting jim texted me that thing the other day about comics having plot at the expense of character very often and it's mm-hmm. i've been thinking about it constantly since then because i really think the like 20 page limit of comics and the expectation to have like resolve last issues twist set up a twist for this issue have a big fight scene like i know how those pages just like burn away from you and then you're yeah. like well i've got one page to do character stuff in the end it has really made me so much more mindful of that in my own like in my separate writing and I was reading some stuff in the interim and man oh man I was so aware I was I was read, bouncing back and forth between two books and it was it was an object lesson in one book that was prioritizing character and one book that was not mm-hmm. and I had investment and momentum in the book that was all about character and boy did I not in the one that was plot 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 and I was started like my eyes are glazing over all the <laughs> dialogue bubbles and stuff like that so that's that you mentioned it here again and it's only drilling it further into my brain so i'll highlight that You're uh, welcome. Then, yeah no it's good it's good i i always you get so comfortable in writing with some things you think you're doing well that you kind of take your eyes off some mm-hmm. of the the controls and those start to atrophy a little until you're like Oh God, there's no oxygen in here. (laughs) A recommendation I will make is for a book coming out from Image that I had previously backed the Kickstarter for by Erica Schultz called Deadliest Bouquet. And it's sort of like a sister's 
crime comic, you know, girls coming who were trained by their Nazi hunting mother and they get together to solve their mom's murder. Mm-hmm. And it's a really just rad, cool crime book. And she was kind enough to name a character who gets murdered in it, James Asmus, and talk constant <laughs> trash about him. Because I had mentioned one day on Twitter that the thing I miss from my acting days, I always wanted to die in a horror movie and I never got the chance. I was like, so if someone would kill me in a comic, I would stop fixating over the fact that I like probably won't ever do this bucket list thing. Also, if you're listening and you're making an independent horror movie and you want to fly me out and kill me, that would be great too. Uh, (laughs) I have a theater degree. I promise I'll be okay. But anyway, but so the book is great. It's really rad. It's super fun. It's coming out through Image now in the, I think this month. And it's a great mini series and you can see me get brutally murdered. So there you go. If you didn't like me today, buy that, watch me get killed. If you did like me today, get Survival Street. If you're on the fence, get both. (laughs) there's a there's a running thing on the show jd is an author and he has killed john in (laughs) his last four books there's been a character named john o'grady that has been because he writes a lot of horror stories that has been killed (laughs) in like his last four books yeah so i will recommend that you go to superheroespeak.com where you can find the podcast every week links to all our social media at the top of the page comic book reviews by our good friend d square and so much more I also am truly going to recommend check out Survival Street. I will definitely be doing that. It's a sounds like a wonderful idea and it fits right in my sensibilities. So I will definitely be checking out. I recommend you do the same. And finally, I recommend that you go see Thor Love and Thunder because we will be reviewing that on the podcast next week. So until then, first, I will say thank you, Jim and James, for being on this week. Thank you. Thank you. And as always, thanks for listening. Don't let you keep caught in the door. Have a good week.